Let's pray together. Father, as we look into your word today, again, we ask, Spirit of God, that you would speak to our hearts and our lives, quicken our minds to understand your word, and our hearts to accept your word, and our will to put it into action. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. What do you most love about living in Britain? They did some research a little while ago. In fact, I found it in two newspapers, and they had a completely different list. Just shows you we can't agree on anything, even about what we love about Britain. The Sun had number one. Do you know what it was about Britain? Arguing about the weather. That's what the Sun said. But the Daily Mail, well, they had that way down the list. They said the top thing that we love about Britain, what do you think? What do you love about Britain? Do you love anything about Britain? They said the countryside was number one. It's beautiful, isn't it? Number two, fish and chips. Then roast dinners. Number four, what cures everything in Britain? Tea, exactly right, number four, which came slightly above English history. And then the English fry-up, the NHS, strawberries, the Lake District, beaches, cream teas, and so it goes on. The Queen came in at number 15. James Bond, number 24. Stephen Fry, 28. Dame Judi Dench, 32. Slightly above Prince Harry and Harry Potter, football and cricket. So there you go. What do you love about things? I heard about a child who went over to a friend's house And the mother said, uh, I'm going to cook some dinner, and we're going to have broccoli for dinner. Do you like broccoli? And the little child said, yes, I love broccoli. Thank you. And so when dinner came and they were called to the table, the broccoli came round along with lots of other things. And the little child said, no, 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 no. Thank you. And the mother said, I saw what you said. You love broccoli. She said, I do love broccoli, but I don't love it that much. Today, we're going to talk about the next in our series from Colossians. Colossians 3, verse 12 and 13 that we've looked at. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And then Paul carries on. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now, the love that Paul is talking about is not about the love of Britain or the love of broccoli. He's talking about a different kind of love. And you know, in the Bible, there are different words for love. There's storge, which is, do you know what that is? That's kind of uh, family love. So that's, that's, that's the Christmas card list, right? You have to love your family because they're family. You didn't choose them. They, you were kind of dumped with them, right? But you love them anyway, and you signed your Christmas cards, what? Loved, you know, whoever. You don't just say, good luck, or something, do you? It's that kind of family love. The second one is Eros, which you know all about, where we get... 
erotic from, that's kind of sexual love. The third one is phileo, which where you get Philadelphia from, the city of brotherly love. So that's friendship love. That's that kind of deep love that you have between friends, really close friends that you would do anything for. And then the fourth one that we're going to look at today is agape. And that's the love that Paul talks about here in Colossians. Over all these things, all these different virtues, put on agape love, which binds them all together in unity. But what is agape love? Well, let's look together. In 1 John 4, it says this. Dear friends, let us love one another. This is agape. Let us agape one another, for agape comes from God. Everyone who agapes has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not agape does not know God because God is agape. This is how God showed his agape among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Let's just stop for a moment and think about what that is saying to us. Firstly, it says that agape love comes from God. Let me turn in my Bible to that passage one moment. It says, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Verse 7, which means that if you don't know God, you can't have access to agape love. Because that's the source of love. God doesn't just hand it out to everybody. Not everybody has agape love. It only comes through a relationship with God. God is love, it says. Everyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. So God is the dispenser, if you like, of this kind of love. The other kinds of love, everybody has. It's common to all humanity. But the Bible says that agape kind of love only comes when you have that connection with God. Because God is the storehouse, if you like, of this kind of love. And without that relationship with God, it's impossible for you to connect and for it to flow through you and into you. John says it comes directly from God. Secondly, it shows itself in action. Verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. Firstly, he sent his one and only son. When you send someone to do something... Tim, can you go? Well, I said to Mike this morning, can you go and get me some bread from over the road? We didn't have any bread for communion. So I sent him. Didn't pay him either, but, you know, that's a different story. I said, have you got any money? Can you quick go get some bread for me? I sent him over to go do it. He had to do something to do it. He couldn't have just sat there and said, yeah, yeah, I'll go. And just sat in the link. Then, then when it comes and we whip off those covers over there, there'll be empty plates and I'll be going, I know that I sent him, but he didn't follow through. But God sent his son. Agape love shows itself in action. You've got to do something. Philippians reminds us that he gave up everything. Didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but became nothing. And came to earth. He sent his one and only son it says in 1 John, into the world that we might live through him. It cost God, it cost Jesus Christ everything that he had to demonstrate what love is all about. 
Thirdly, it brings hope and change. Agape love is effective. It does something. It doesn't just stop with with the giving of it, but it brings about a transformation within the other person. Back in 1 John, it says that that we might live through him. There was a purpose for why Jesus came. That's why we have communion every week, to remember that purpose. But agape love, in in John's explanation here, has an effectiveness, brings a change into our lives. It's not just something that is given. But there's no guarantee of the response. It's just given. It says that we might live through him. Not that we must, not that we will, not that, that it's a given. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him. You see, God gives us a choice. Love always gives us a choice. And agape love is no different. We have that choice. And so whilst it is effective, whilst it brings change, it only brings change if the recipient receives the love that's being offered because it always gives that opportunity to reject. There's no guarantee of the response. You think about Jesus' life and ministry, many people were there. They saw everything. They experienced everything. Even when Jesus has risen from the dead and he's there with all those people on the, and he's about to go up to heaven, it says in the word that some still doubt it. I find that incredible that you're standing there, you're seeing the risen Christ and he's about to ascend up into heaven and you're still doubting who he is. You know, if somebody comes back from the dead, shows you, demonstrates, lives with you, reveals himself to hundreds of people, why, why would you still doubt? But but the Bible says that's what people did. But love allows that. A love allows that to happen. It doesn't force itself. There's no guarantee of what kind of response you'll get when you show agape love. But he carries on. This is agape, not that we have agape God, but that he has agape us. And sent his son as atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so agapated us, we ought to agapate one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we agape one another, God lives in us. And his agape is made complete in us. What's this saying? Firstly, that God gave us agape, gave us his love so that we might agape not God. You know, often in relationships, you do something for someone, they do something back to you, don't they? You love someone. You know, I love Janet so that Janet loves me, right? I don't love Janet so that she can go and love Margaret, right? That's between Janet and Margaret. You love someone so they love you back. But that's not what the word says, is it? It says here that God loved us so that... Not that we would love God back in the way that he loves us, which is what you would expect. It says, dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love others. So in the same way that you experience the love of God, you are supposed to then pass that love on to other people. That's a bit radical, isn't it? 
That's not normal kind of love, right? Enoch doesn't love me so I can go and love anybody else. She loves me so I can love her back. And I love her so she loves me back. But not with God. He says, I, I'm going to give you my love so that you can then go and love other people. And it also says in verse 12, no one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, there's the condition there, if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. In other words, that my experience of God is, is linked intrinsically to how I love other people. How I love, how I display that love that God loves me with into others affects my relationship with God. Now, in our society, we don't often like to think of that. We often think my relationship with God is just between me and God. It's got nothing to do with anybody else. How I worship, how I look at God, how I do this, how I do that, is just between me and God. But the Word says that's rubbish. The Word says, actually, how you love other people affects how you're going to love God. It's all interlinked. You can't split them. How, how I treat other people, it says here, will have a massive impact on my love for God. Not on God's love for me, but on how I experience God, how I love God. It says in uh, elsewhere, it says here, if you see your brother and sister in need and you, don't have, and you have material possessions, in chapter 3, verse 16, 17, he says, and you, you do nothing about it. How can the agape of God be in you? It's impossible. How we treat other people, how we love other people, impacts our relationship with God. Agape love. But what is it? How would you define the kind of love that the Bible speaks about. Well, it's not a feeling. But it's a motivation for action that we are free to choose or reject. In other words, it's, it's a motivation that you can do or you can just not do. It's up to you. But it has implications if you decide not to do it. Agape is a sacrificial love that voluntarily suffers inconvenience, discomfort, and loss for the benefit of another without expecting anything in return. Just look at that for a moment. Think about that. It's a sacrificial love that voluntarily suffers inconvenience, discomfort, and loss for the benefit of another without expecting anything in return. Let's break that down. Firstly, it's not optional. 55 times in the New Testament, we are commanded to agape others. It says it over and over again. Jesus says it. All the writers in the New Testament say it. Now, we're commanded to do it. Why? Because it's not natural. You won't naturally love other people with that kind of love. It's not going to come. You don't just hang out there and it just happens, right? Otherwise, a command wouldn't be necessary, would it? When my children were growing up, I used to tell them to go do things. Why did I have to do that? 
because it didn't come natural. Go tidy your room. It wasn't a natural inclination of my children to tidy their room. Go do the washing up. Not a natural inclination. Sometimes go comb your hair before you go outside. Not a natural inclination. All these things. Make sure you brush your teeth before you leave the house. Not natural inclination at that age. Their natural inclination is what? Playstations, televisions, slumbering around, eating crisps. That's natural. Playing with friends. Doing great things. Go do your homework. How many parents told you, go do your homework? Why? Because it wasn't a natural inclination for many of us to actually go, oh, wonderful, thank you teachers so much for giving me all this homework. I love it. I, I was hoping that this evening I would spend my whole night just sitting in front of my books because that's how much I love it. I had nothing better to do in my time and I was wondering how I was going to fill the evening. Thank you so much. No, it's not natural, is it? And in the same way, it's commanded in the Bible because it means that we have to focus on it and be particular about doing it. That's why we're commanded, love one another. By this we'll all know that you are my disciples if you have agape for one another. It's not going to be a natural thing with any of us. But it's a decision, as I've said, of the will. We choose to do it. We constantly have to remind ourselves, this is what we need to be doing. But also, it costs. It costs inconvenience. It costs your time. To agape someone else, to, be, to give that sacrificial love to someone else will be inconvenient for you. Most of us have our days already packed with things that we should be doing, right? We wake up in the morning and we have a list like this and a number of hours like this. And we think, how am I going to get through all those things? And the reality is all the things that we need to do or we want to do, we're never going to get through them. So we just have a rollover program that goes on till tomorrow and the next day and the next day, right? When agape love comes into that, when we see an opportunity to serve someone else, when we see opportunities to show love, sacrificial love to others, it costs us. It interferes. It's inconvenient for us. We have other things that we could be doing, but we have to say, no, I'm going to stop those, and I'm going to go and focus on this. Secondly, it's often uncomfortable. Agape love causes us discomfort. It's not an easy thing to do. It messes with that orderliness in our lives that we so spend our time trying to maintain. It gets in the way. It not just takes our time, but it messes up other things. There are consequences to it. Sometimes it means that we have to do things that we don't naturally want to do if we're going to show that kind of sacrificial love to others. And it also sometimes causes loss, financial, physical, emotional loss. We have to invest if we're going to give love to other people. And so we need to, it will cost us. And there will be a loss for us in giving that kind of love. Because it's solely for the benefit of the other person. 
That means that you don't start going down the road or whether they deserve it or not. You know, Janet deserves it. Helen, no chance, right? You don't go down that road. You don't decide whether they're worth loving or not. You don't decide because it's not about them, whether they're worth it, whether, whether you think they deserve it or not. You look at the need and you say, you know what? I can show love into that situation. It's solely for their benefit. I'm not going to get anything back. I don't want anything back. In fact, I'm not going to do it for anything back because that's not agape love. I'm just going to give because there's an opportunity to give for God so loved the world. Do we deserve Jesus to come in? No. Do we deserve Jesus dying on the cross? No. Do we deserve Jesus hanging there and saying, taking all our sin and our mess on his life so that we could have relationship with God? No. It's pure grace. It's pure agape love. Not that we deserved it, but that he saw us in our plight and said, you know what, I can do something here. Let me come and share love. Are there many people that reject that kind of love? Absolutely. Even though he died for the world. There are people that say, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. Thank you very much. But Jesus says, you know, the love is solely for the benefit of the people. So that if they accept it, they can have life in all its fullness. And it doesn't demand or expect anything in return. You ever been in one of those arguments? Every husband knows this. Where they drag up stuff from the past that you'd long forgotten about. You ever been in one of those arguments? I should imagine every wife knows about it as well, to be honest. You know when you get into that corner and you don't know what else to do, but you go, yeah, but you... I remember in 1923, you know, when, when you, and you just kept it there for that moment to rescue yourself from awkward situations. Agape love doesn't demand that. It doesn't do that. It doesn't demand anything in return. It doesn't, it doesn't justify itself. It doesn't want anything back. It purely gives it gives because, going back to 1 John, because God has given to you. And so you give out of the generosity of what you've received from God. What does it look like? Well, 1 Corinthians 13 is that most wonderful passage on agape love that you'll find in the Bible. And there are 15 different characteristics. We're not going to go through them today. Well, what does it look like? Well, it's patient. It's kind. It's not envious. It's not boastful. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others, and it's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered, and it doesn't keep any record of wrongs. It doesn't delight in evil, but it rejoices in truth. It protects. It trusts. It hopes. It perseveres. And it never fails. That is agape at work.
In Colossians, Paul says this, over all those other things, compassion and gentleness, put love. Put agape. Because agape will bind them all together in unity. Agape is that one thing that will bring genuine, Christian, authentic unity. We talk a lot about unity. We see a lot of disunity right now in our country, don't we? All over the place. In fact, in our world. Agape, that kind of love, brings unity. Why? Because it's all about serving other people. You remember a while ago, when we looked in Matthew 22, love the Lord your God, agape the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. What else does it say? Agape your neighbor as you agape yourself. What is it saying? It's saying what we keep on saying. Allow the agape of God to flow into you through that relationship so that it can flow out of you into others. Let me ask you a question. What do you think it would look like in a church where agape love was really flowing? What would it look like in you or in me? How different would you be if you had agape love like that, just flowing through you 24-7. How do you get it? Focus on your relationships. Love the Lord your God. Open yourself up increasingly to the presence and the relationship with God. And love other people not expecting anything in return, but with the same kind of grace and love that God has given you. I want you to think this week, where can you show agape love? Maybe wake up every day this week and say, Lord, give me at least one place where I can show that kind of love to others where I can be a channel of the love that you have shown me through Jesus Christ into the lives of those around me. Because that's the kind of love that our world needs. That's the kind of love that brings transformation. And that's the kind of love that witnesses to Jesus Christ as his spirit flows through us. Let us pray. Father, we ask that you would increase in us that agape kind of love. Lord, so often we're critical of others. So often we love expecting return. So often we, we mar the image of what you have done in for us and through us. We don't love you in the way that you love us.
and we don't love one another. Lord, I ask that you would help us to really just think and reflect. What would that kind of love look like in me? What would it look like if I was to show people I meet this week that kind of love? Not expecting anything in return. Lord, teach me to love like you. Forgive me when I, my love falls short. And Lord, deepen my relationship so that I may love as you do. For I ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.